I'm going to be real. Nine times out of ten, if kids find something really good, it's probably bad because kids are kind of dumb. Like, I was a kid and I was dumb. I'm still dumb, but a little less dumb now. Ladies, gentlemen, and those with the good sense to do away with the whole notion, I welcome you to the premier audio medium for all your Fazbear entertainment needs. The Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast. Note, FFPP is not responsible for any loss of appetite, disinterest, dismemberment, or other legally classified statuses. So strap in and enjoy. Welcome back to the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast. This is going to be a bit of a strange one, not necessarily because of the topics we're covering, but more so, well... I, uh, so I'm still in the basement, as you can visually tell. I fixed the lighting situation, so that looks a little bit nicer. But the thing about being in the basement is that when I record during the day, like I am right now, there's usually a lot of footsteps and creaking above me. So um, prepare for that. As long as it's not too distracting, I'm just going to leave it in because this is a podcast. And stopping every time there's a creak in the ceiling that might not even be being picked up on the microphone. I won't know because this is the first time I've been recording with my new microphone in this basement. So I don't know if it'll be picked up, but if it is picked up, oh well, you know, <laughs> if it's super distracting, I'll still cut away and come back. But for the most part, I just really, it's going to be like a 45 minute to an hour podcast. Uh, if I restart my sentence every time there's a creak up there, I will have a four hour recording file. And it is currently 4 p.m. Sunday, the day this is supposed to come out. So that's not going to fly. Anyway, you saw the title, you saw the thumbnail, unless you're on Spotify or Apple or Amazon. I don't exactly know how those are shown, but I know at least if you're on YouTube, you've seen the title and the thumbnail. We are going to be talking about the state of indie horror. So it's a conversation I haven't really gotten into much in the main channel. Um, I'd love to, but it's more a fact of like if I cover anything non-FNAF in the main channel, it just does not go over well. Like at this point, I would say my videos average anywhere from 90 to 140,000 views. And if I cover something non-FNAF, I'll be lucky if they break 50. And I, I don't want to sound like spoiled or conceited. It's less about like, oh, I need these videos to do well for my ego. It's like, I need these videos to do well because this is our primary income and I have two children. You know what I mean? Like if the videos start doing poorly, I go back and I get a, like a real job and and the videos will slow down, halt or, you know, so like <laughs> I, they, they got to do well. Um, I do eventually. I think for my own mental health, where I want the channel to end up is video game commentary in general. And I don't know how I'm going to get it there. Uh, there's no there's nowhere I can really go for advice on this because this job is so weird and niche and specific. Um, my apron is so tight right now. Hold on. I just untied the back. So if it looks weird, that's why. Um, so I don't really know how to get it there. But I think in the, uh, the long run, I, I know I'll never not make FNAF content. You know, like that's what that's how I got here. And I do really like Five Nights at Freddy's. But I think in general... One day I want the channel to just be video game commentary in general. Um, I think that would be healthier for the channel, for my own mental health and all yada, yada, yada. But that's going to be a while, you know, because I can't just start doing that and tank the channel by doing that. I, I have to do that slowly. Um, so we'll see. Maybe four or five years from now, it'll be a lot more broad. Who knows? I mean, Alpharad started just doing Smash videos and now he just does whatever the hell he feels like. So... <laughs> Um, we'll see. We'll see on that. But as far as today's topic, um, 
I haven't really mentioned much about the state of indie horror. One, because like I said, it's not specifically just FNAF, so it would perform kind of poorly if I made a full video on it. But not only that, uh, I just haven't had a lot to say until I really like sat down and thought about it. And I've been doing a lot of sitting and thinking, and I think my opinion is going to change throughout this podcast because one of the nice things about recording myself talking for like 45 minutes to an hour is talking things out really helps my brain process stuff. So I wouldn't doubt if I go into this with an opinion and at the end of it have a different one. But um, I figured we'll start, we'll kind of go game by game and talk about like, the state of indie horror in general, if I think it's good or bad or changing or whatnot. Um, but I figured we should start off with everyone's golden, uh, golden, golden Freddy, everyone's golden poster child, Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, I know a lot of older fans and I, I'm an old fan at this point. Like I, not like age wise, I'm only 25, but I mean, like I've been with this franchise since what, 2012, 2014, when did FNAF, whenever FNAF 1 came out, you know, when FNAF 2 came out, me and my friends were playing FNAF 1 by taking my laptop and plugging it into the biggest TV we had in the house, you know, so I've been around um, and I know a lot of fans in my position that have been around since the beginning of the franchise. I would, I wouldn't say a majority, but there's definitely a large chunk of the fan base who does not care for the modern FNAF games, specifically Security Breach. I think Security Breach mainly is the thing that turned a lot of people away from Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, and not, not like, a, like I said, not a majority. Five Nights at Freddy's is, I want to be super clear going into this, Five Nights at Freddy's is doing as good as it's ever had. We've had a now like $230 million box office movie that is the highest grossing horror movie this year while also releasing the same day on Peacock. The fact that the box office is that good while releasing on streaming same day is insane to me. So that alone tells you Five Nights at Freddy's is nowhere even close to having a bad year, let alone the fact that like Security Breach sold incredibly well, Ruin came out and it's so good and it's winning back a lot of those fans. So before I go into the like the deep and dark and depressing parts of what I'm about to say, I don't want to imply that FNAF is in a bad spot. FNAF is doing great. So that being said, I understand a lot of fans being kind of like turned away with Security Breach specifically. I wasn't. I really did enjoy Security Breach. It burned me a lot. Like the <laughs> the glitches on release really ruined my experience. Uh, I got softlocked so many times that like I streamed it and I, I think I, I'll have to find the clip. I don't think I'll be... I don't think I'll find it in time to put it in this podcast, but it's there somewhere. But like when I streamed it, I remember that moment where I got to 6 a.m. and I was going for the burn trap ending and we got all the way finished. We did everything. We we beat Monty first try. We did all this stuff. Um, meanwhile, it had soft locked me twice on the way to Monty. So this is our third attempt, not dying, just being softlocked post 6 a.m. when you can't save anymore. And I got I got Monty's claws. We got out of there. I did everything right. I get out of Freddy and I go to the computer console to like upgrade him so we can go to the final boss. And Freddy was too close to the computer monitor. So when I hit the button to go and activate the computer monitor, Gregory got into Freddy and hit the computer monitor. 
and it softlocked the game and I could not get out of the mo- the computer monitor screen. I couldn't hit any of the buttons. Um, and that hurt. There was that moment when, when we were streaming and I was like, okay, we're going to pull up the ending on YouTube. I'm not doing this. Like, and you never want to see that. <laughs> so, like, I remember the glitches that came out with Security Breach really just burned me. Um, and I, I, I still enjoyed the game, but I definitely understand not only the glitches, but the tonal shift in FNAF definitely lost a lot of the older fans of the franchise. That being said, um, Ruin really turned a lot of people around in my opinion. Like, and I think that's not uncommon. I remember, I think a lot of people, it's such a distinction that a lot of people have been like, when they make their FNAF tier lists, they list Ruin separate from Security Breach, which is wild, but kind of fair. You know what I mean? Um, So I can see a lot of people being like, oh, what's happening to indie horror? Look at Five Nights at Freddy's. And they point to Security Breach where it's like, it's not scary at all. Um, But I don't think that's fair, mainly because Ruin, again, Ruin came out and Ruin's actually pretty pretty scary like it's not terrifying or anything but it's got some good scares in it and then you look at the game right before it help wanted which in my opinion is one of the scariest games in the franchise i mainly because it's vr and vr is inherently terrifying but like still like when i list my favorite and scariest fnaf games fnaf 1 and help wanted are always fighting for the top spot so like i don't think fnaf is having a bad time at all i think fnaf is doing great and help help wanted two comes out like next month so i think five nights of freddy's is doing fine you know what i mean um there is definitely that sect of the fan base who like just stops at ultimate custom night which i don't think is fair but i like okay it's completely fair to personally stop caring in for or not care at all you know like it's your own opinion fine but i i I don't personally get that because like first off Ultimate Custom Night is bad. Like, if we want to talk about bad games, Ultimate Custom Night sucks. The worst jump scares in the franchise, by far, bar none the worst jump scares in the franchise. It suffers from what FNAF 2 has, where there's too much going on, so it's not scary at all. Ultimate Custom Night is never scary at all. So I don't understand why a lot of these people are like, oh yeah, Security Breach sucks, but Ultimate Custom Night, now that's a game. Like, Ultimate Custom Night is not scary at all. So, I, I don't know. I personally don't get it. I, I do not like Ultimate Custom Night, even a little bit. Um, and I mean, primarily because, like I said, the jump scares are terrible. It's not scary. And there's a part of me that just really likes scripted progression you know like night one night two night three night four night five where it gets harder in an understandable and approachable way so when you go into ultimate custom night and there's none of that like i understand ultimate custom night needs to exist i understand that but i don't i don't i barely count it as a game to be real with you <laughs> you know what i mean um but yeah that's fun it's ready so i i see a lot of people when the issue of like Actually, before we get into that, let me go into like another game that I think universally people can be like, oh yeah, that's a pretty good game. And there's two that come to mind. And there are two other indie games that I don't think got the praise and attention they deserved. And that was Happy's Humble Burger Farm and um, Choo Choo Charles. So 
we're gonna start with Happy's because I have a lot more to say on Happy's because I played the fuck out of Happy's Humble Burger Farm. So part of it, and I do think part of it is unfortunate timing. Happy's Humble Burger Farm came out like a week before Security Breach, if not like the same week. And Security Breach is obviously going to overshadow that. So part of it, I think, is just unfortunate release window timing. But Happy Humble Burger Farm is, in my opinion, one of the best indie horror games to come out in the last like five, ten years. It's really, really solid. One, decently scary. It's got some good scares in it, you know. It's not horrifying, but it's got some good scares in it. Two, really fun gameplay. Like, I've gone back and played the Zen mode of Happy Humble Burger Farm where you just do the the burger part of it. I've gone back and played that way more than I've played any FNAF game. Just it's just a fun thing. And then, like I said, the the soundtrack's great. The gameplay is great. The, the scares is great. The lore is pretty good. It sets up for a sequel. I'm so excited to see what uh, Scythe Dev has coming up next. Um, but when people are like, oh, indie horror is going down the drain, no one talks about Happies, which is a shame because it's such a good, solid game. Um, and I, I don't understand. Is it just because it got overshadowed by Security Breach? It's so good. I'm going to play it on the channel soon just to like be like, hey, guys, do you remember this game? Because it's good and no one's talking about it. So I and this will I'll get into this when we kind of talk about the scene as a whole. But I really feel like part of the reason why people are like, oh, indie horror is dead is because some of the really good games out there just don't get enough attention. And then people focus on the fact that like the popular games, are the ones kids are obsessed with. It's like, OK, well, don't look at those ones look at the good ones that are coming out at the same time perfect example of it fucking choo choo charles right choo choo charles came out in the middle of all of this garden of ban ban nonsense and we'll get into garden of ban ban believe me and actually is that true when did choo choo charles come out i feel like it came out this past december right yeah 2022 in december so right in the middle of all this garden of ban ban nonsense and I think it definitely got overshadowed because of that, because Garden of Ban Ban was such a powerhouse of attention. Um, but Choo Choo Charles, another really good indie horror game. Great mechanics, really new and refreshing gameplay that like feels like nothing else I've played in a long time. Uh, decently scary. Charles, great model, and the fact that he can kind of show up whenever, awesome. The cultists are super cool. Like Choo Choo Charles, again, like Happy Sumble Burger Farm, really really good solid indie horror that just didn't get enough attention and I feel like part of the reason it's not getting enough attention is because people like to focus on the bad things and then people look at indie horror and they're like oh indie horror it's done it's all over you know indie horror is done for because Ban Ban's popular and it's like okay but like what about True True Charles that came out at the same time why, why not talk about that game that's actually pretty fucking good um and so I, I've danced around it. The main reason why I think a lot of people think indie horror is just dead and gone forever. Garden of Ban Ban. <laughs> uh, we can all look. This is a safe space. We can all agree Garden of Ban Ban is terrible. Garden of Ban Ban. I, it's not a hot take to say that Garden of Ban Ban is absolutely fucking atrocious. It's a game that has no passion behind it. Has no energy behind it. Has very little skill behind it if i'm gonna be honest um and just it's not scary in the slightest it's not fun to play in the slightest but 
it's incredibly, incredibly popular. Mainly because it's popular with kids, you know? Kids, it's very accessible for kids because it's not scary, but it gives the, like, pretense of being scary and it's bright and colorful, right? Like, they cracked the code. Kids love that shit. They are obsessed with that shit. And because of that, you get all those content farms talking about it and then all those shitty fake merch about it and then it's everywhere. People are like, oh, this is what indie horror is producing? No. It's what kids like. And that's what kids are paying attention to. And that's why it's popular, right? So uh, for me, and I want to make a distinction here. I don't think just because something is bright and colorful and not that like in depth, it's bad. And I think a really good distinction that you can show for that is something like Garden of Ban Ban versus something like Rainbow Friends. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say Rainbow Friends is a terrifying masterpiece. It's not. I think Rainbow Friends is also kind of bad. But the difference is you look at Rainbow Friends and you can feel that there is passion behind it, right? Like you can see that people, the people behind that game care about it and they want, they're doing their best to make something fun. And the fact that it's in the Roblox engine, right? Like the only good horror game I've played in Roblox is probably Doors. And Doors is a very basic game, but it gets the job done, you know? And then you look at Rainbow Friends, and it's like, okay, you're using kind of a rough medium to work with, and you're definitely a beginner developer. This is a great first attempt. So when I look at something like Rainbow Friends, I, le- I look at it, and I'm like, sure, it's not a great game, nor is it very scary. But there's passion and inexperience behind it. You know, like, these devs are trying something. I They definitely have a lot of passion behind it. You can see it. You can feel it when you play those games. Like, I, I see that, and I get that. And then you look at Garden of Banban, and immediately all of that's out the window. Like, from the way that the devs act on Twitter to their, like, bad and sometimes really problematic previous games, like, you can you can tell that, like, the Garden of Banban devs are a lot similar to the content farms you see on YouTube, where it's like, they were just throwing shit out until something stuck. And once something stuck, they're like, okay, let's just do that forever. And like, hey, get that bag, right? Get that bag. I'm never going to hate on someone getting that bag. But the attitude that these devs have towards their own product and the other products in the scene, plus the, like, predatory merch practices for something that's obviously directed at children, like, Garden of Banban is making the indie horror scene look bad, but I I hate it when people say that the indie horror scene is bad because of Garden of Banban. That would be like if I looked at YouTube, right, and I, like, pulled up YouTube on an incognito tab. And I saw those, like, shitty kid animations that are, like, 30 minutes long for no reason and they're just meant for, like, babies to autoplay onto. And I saw one of those and I was like, oh, okay, so YouTube's terrible and it's down the drain. It's like, no, there's a lot of really good shit on YouTube. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, really insightful, funny videos like Cat Icarus or there's, like, really educational content like uh, Simone Burtz and things like that or, like, uh, Nerd City. You know, like, there's really good stuff on YouTube. It just depends on where you look. And I think with indie horror, that's pretty similar. We're like, there's really good indie horror coming out every day. Um, between like FNAF fan games, original projects, uh, fan songs about indie. Like there's so much good shit that came out recently and continues to come out. But if you're only looking at like the things that kids make popular via YouTube and via merchandise, 
it's gonna feel icky because it's just gonna be that like schlocky nonsense. So I I think my whole take on the is indie horror dying thing is like no obviously not indie horror is thriving but a lot of people just aren't looking at the new releases because they get overshadowed by something else or overshadowed by things that kids find popular and i'm gonna be real nine times out of ten if kids find something really good it's probably bad because kids are kind of dumb like i was a kid and i was dumb i'm still dumb but a little less dumb now you know so i i don't know when I hear someone say indie horror is dead or dying, I think it's so out of touch. Because to me, it, it like I said with the YouTube analogy, you can also say with like the video game analogy, where like people are like, oh, video games are stupid. It's like, okay, well, what are you looking at? Like, did you just look at like shovelware that was made for Wii? Okay, sure, that's dumb. But like, it's a whole medium. You know, I, I can't get behind the mentality of tossing aside a whole genre or medium of thing because some of the stuff in it is bad. Like, that's just ridiculous to my mind. So, moral of the story, indie horror is great and thriving. Play Happy Sumble Burger Farm. There's your moral of the story. Um, it's only been like 20 minutes, but I, I can't think of anything else to say and I'd rather just move on. So... We'll move on to questions. Uh, if, in case you didn't know, if this is your first episode, we cover questions and theories sent in from you guys specifically. You can send them in. Spotify has a QA. and uh, a Admittedly, I look at it a little bit less often. I do look at it. Um, I just forget to sometimes. Um, but I do check it. Uh, I just have such a backlog to catch up on. Um, but if you have a question or theory you would like reviewed on the podcast, you can submit it via Spotify or you can go to the email Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast at gmail.com. It is in the description because it is a pain to type. Uh, while you're looking there, I forgot to hold him, but hey, this plushie is still available. The official Rytoast YouTube's plushie, if you're an audio listener, I'm holding him. Um, <laughs> but he's really soft, he's really cute. And for those audio listeners, uh, just imagine like the best plushie you've ever seen in your entire life. It's that, but like better. Uh, it's only available for like five more days. It goes up it, it after Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is no longer available. So I, I really love this guy. I really hope y'all can get him. Uh, it supports the channel and it means so much to me. So thank you, everybody who's ordered it already. Um, but you have like five more days. So get it while you can. Um, but that being said, let's move on to questions. So first question comes from Ether, from, uh, they, them. Thank you for your question. Um, do you think the news story after UCN, topical, uh, is too disconnected from the old story with the Aftons? If a game were to come out that takes place earlier in the timeline, what would you want it to include, whether it be new content or fixing current plot holes? Thank you for your question, Ether. So I, I think I have not necessarily like a hot take, but a lesser... Uh, popular opinion, I guess. I don't know. My opinion on the FNAF story isn't that it's too disconnected. It's that they didn't pick a side. When After Ultimate Custom Night, in my mind, if you want to continue the story of Five Nights at Freddy's, you either need to go all in in continuing with the Aftons or fully divorce it. The fact that it's like this wishy-washy middle ground is what I personally don't like that much. Um, I, I wish it was... Like I said, I wish it was all in or not at all. And I don't know where we are right now. I, I think we're like kind of both. And that kind of sucks in my opinion. Um, that being said, 
if a game were to come out that takes place earlier in the timeline, what would you want it to include? Um, so I have a few opinions on what I would want in new FNAF games. So I've said for a while, I think the best course of action for the franchise, oh, that's the dog. Uh, I think the best course of action for the franchise is that they would make new stories, uh, sort of like dark anthologies where we have man of Medan, we have until dawn, we have, uh, they just came out with a new one that I didn't get to play yet. It looks really good. Like the quarry, I think it's called where it's like, okay, it's the same company. They're making stories and games with similar vibes, but they're different stories. So there's something new to experience each time. I think, and I don't think they'll ever do this, but I think that is the best course of action for these games moving forward. Um, where like you go into copycat killers or you go into just different restaurants with different creators um, I, kind of similar to like what they're doing with the fan verse, but like more so, um, because I think the story and the mystery is a big part about this franchise, but you can only make so much story and keep it so hidden for so long before we are just lost and don't know what anything is anymore. And I feel like we're kind of approaching that. So I don't know. I, I think that's our best way to move forward. But if we were to have a game earlier in the timeline what would I want so I've been a really long proponent of ever since Steel Wool mentioned that they wanted to make a Fred Bear's Family Diner game I have been all for it I think a game really early in the timeline would help us out immensely just to like get some information on the order of events and some motivation and characterization of our characters I think it is so 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 needed um and I think Steel Wool could pull it off I think a Steel Wool led Fredbear's Family Diner game would be really, really solid because we know that they're good with like small environments. Like Ruin showed us more than anything that Steel Wool can knock it out of the park when they don't have to make an entire fucking mall, right? <laughs> so I think if they had to work with like Fredbear's Family Diner, which ostensibly is like a dining room, a kitchen, and like a couple back rooms, I think they'll knock that out of the park. Um, but I also, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that I do really think we need a game between Help Wanted and Security Breach. Or even just between FNAF 6 and Help Wanted. Because the, 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 the journey from like FNAF 6 Ultimate Custom Night to Help Wanted to Security Breach, those two gaps have like nothing there. There's a lot of, huh, right there. So I think two games would be really helpful right there, or even one game that kind of covers a lot of it. Um, I don't know. I think that I think that those three areas we could use the most help in. Um, I wouldn't mind other earlier timeline games, but I think Fredbear's Family Diner, FNAF 6 UCN to Help Wanted, and Help Wanted to Security Breach are the like three areas that we need the most information on. So I think games there would be great. But uh, Ether, thank you for your question. Next question comes from Star J. Uh, I believe it's Star J. Technically, the way you wrote it would be Star-R-J, but I assume it's Star J. Regardless, thank you for the question, pronounce he him. Hey, Toast, this is kind of adding on to the idea you had for Shadow Freddy slash Bonnie. What do you think about, instead of what you were saying, they're actually agony entities created from the emotion of the crying child was feeling during the Bite of 83 and the anger of the children since the last thing they saw was Spring Bonnie? 
IMO Glitchtrap was a more accurate representation of the suit in good condition, and Glitch does kind of look like Toy Bonnie. Thank you for your question. So if I understand that right, because there was a little a couple of typos there, you were positing, and if I'm wrong, you know, send me an email. Maybe I'll see you in like a month. Um, so I just have a lot of emails I got to get through. Uh, <laughs> but you were saying that Shadow Freddy would be the emotions the crying child felt during his bite, and Shadow Bonnie would be the combined agony of the missing child incident kids. I think that's super valid. You know, it's one of those things where we don't have a lot of information on the shadow animatronics. So any explanation of them is really welcome. And I think that's, I, I don't remember if I've heard that one before. I do like it. I think immediately the one thing that would come to mind for me is why does the crying child's emotions turn into one animatronic, but then all five of the missing child incident kids emotions turns into one animatronic as well. You would think it would be one-to-one. So there'd be one Shadow Freddy and five Shadow Bonnies. And, I mean, we don't know how Agony works. So maybe there were five Shadow Bonnies and it, they just combined. Or, like, the first one made a Shadow Bonnie and then it got bigger as the other ones. Died. We don't know how Agony works, realistically, like, at all. So, maybe. I could see that. I, I, I like that idea. And it does help differentiate why Shadow Freddy is Fredbear, but Shadow Bonnie is Toy Bonnie. Um, or at least, like, closer to Toy Bonnie than he is regular Bonnie. Um, yeah, I don't, I, 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 like I said, I don't have any, like, immediate, like, now that doesn't make sense. The only thing would be that, well, why is it one Bonnie? Um, I do like that. No, that's pretty good. I will say, uh, the way you wrote the question is kind of funny, because it was like, to add on to this theory, and then you just had a separate theory, like, not, it's not like battery. It's just like kind of, it's funny wording where I'm like, you know, in addition to that, something else, you know? <laughs> um, no, but I do like that. I think that's pretty good. Um, I, I, I'm still attached to my Casty and Charlie theory, even though I admit it doesn't make much sense for why they would be shaped that way. Um, but I, I don't know. Shadow Freddy being the emotions of the crying child, I do like, especially because, um, or maybe not even especially, just also taking into account that the crying child doesn't die at the bite of 83, he dies later. So maybe it would be that Shadow Freddy formed at the bite. I don't know. Does someone have to die for agony to form? I'm not sure. Um, like I said, I, like I said before, I'm not done the Fazbear Frights books yet. There's just a lot of books. And uh, <laughs> I have not gotten through them yet. I remember I saw a comment on Reddit where someone was like, should we really, should we really trust Rytoast um, to give opinions on Five Nights at Freddy's when they haven't even read uh, all of the Fazbear Frights books? And I'm like, yeah, because I'm going to be super real. I feel like a lot of people in this community, myself included, have just read the summaries for majority of the Fazbear Frights books. Don't get me wrong. I do want to read every single book front to back. Because as an English major, I really think that specific word choice is super important. So you lose a lot in summaries. And I readily admit that. It's just a time commitment thing, right? Like, I, I do this channel, which takes 50 hours a week, and then I have two kids. So, like, there's not a lot of time to read a book. <laughs> um, I'm almost done the Twisted Ones. And then once I'm done that, I'll be working on... Um, the fourth closet, and then I can start working on Fazbear Frights. But, um, and not to mention, like, I also 
need to do things that aren't Five Nights at Freddy's or else I'll go crazy. So like we got a Steam Deck recently and I've been playing a lot of Terraria on that <laughs> because Terraria is like my favorite game of all time. If not, like it's one of them, if not my favorite. Um, I'll probably end up putting Borderlands 2 on there. But I have Borderlands 2 on my Switch, so maybe it's not worth it. Um, so like that's also some of my time is like when I don't need to directly be responsible for a child and I'm not directly working on my channel sometimes i just want to like open up twitch pull up a live stream and then like play a video game i think uh, that's okay um i i watch a lot of live i think you, you can like you can track how i'm doing mentally by how much time i spend on youtube lives and on twitch streams um because i think like if i'm doing okay mentally i'll usually watch a live stream for like anywhere from a half hour to an hour a day and it'll just be like oh yeah i've got nothing else going on let me pop this open and play a video game if i'm like really stressed out or not doing well mentally i'll have an earbud in and i won't even be like watching the live stream but i will have a live stream playing like all day <laughs> like if you like my wife has started to pick up on like oh riley's had his earbud in for like two hours i should be like hey are you okay because <laughs> like i don't know maybe it's just like a sensory thing because i like having that like audio stabilization of that i don't know but i am almost always listening to something but if it's a live stream i'm not doing okay <laughs> um that was totally off topic it was just something that i found really funny um, but Star J, thank you for your question. I, I hope I, it wasn't really a question. It was more like a theory. Uh, thank you for your theory. I, I hope I gave you some interesting thoughts to kind of toss around in your brain. Um, but for the next question, Simon, he, him, thank you for your question. This might be a stupid question. No such thing. But I sometimes get the feeling that as a community, we can get way too fixated on solving a particular mystery that we forget how it fits into the overall narrative and why we should even care about it in the first place. Two examples that come to mind are the Midnight Motorist minigame and Glamrock Bonnie's story in Security Breach slash Ruin. Suppose that one day we manage to definitively solve these mysteries and we get a 100% confirmed answer. What would that change in our understanding of the FNAF story and universe as a whole? Why are these mysteries even in the game in the first place? Other than the obvious fact that Scott wants us to theorize and engage as a community, which of course does have a value in itself. Do you feel the same way as I do about the community getting too fixated on details sometimes? So thank you for your question. I think this is a really nuanced discussion. Part of the issue with trying to figure out what's important to solve is that until we solve them, we don't know how it fits into the story as a whole. Right. Midnight Motorist, I think you raise as a good point, And it's a perfect example of this because and the video I just made on Friday or I guess Saturday because I'm late. Um, Midnight Motorist is either one of the most important mini games or it's completely irrelevant to the overall story. And we won't know until we solve it. You know what I mean? So like with Midnight Motorist, I think everyone pretty much agrees it's either Williams family or, or like a missing child incident family. I, I know there's some other offshoot ideas. I, some people suggested maybe it was Henry's family. Um, but I, I think most of us can agree it is either William, William Afton's family or an MCI victim family. And here's the thing about Midnight Motorist. If it's William Afton's family, that's really important to the timeline. Because it'll tell us who was alive after Charlie was dead. 
And that way it's like if the couch is Michael Afton and the crying child is the runaway, we know that the crying child dies after Charlotte. If the couch person is Mrs. Afton and Michael Afton is the runaway, we're pretty sure then that the crying child dies first. And those are really, really important answers. So solving Midnight Motors is incredibly important for the timeline. But if Midnight Motorist is just like the shaky family life of one of the victims of the missing child incident, that tells us nothing about the grander story of Five Nights at Freddy's. So I, I hear you and I totally understand that like, why should we care about this unless we know it's important? But the sometimes very frustrating thing about Five Nights at Freddy's and like theory crafting and figuring out lore is that you don't get to know how important something is until we can solve it. <laughs> you know? So like, I mean, take per, for perfect, for perfect, perfect example of this, take the security logbook. Finding Cassidy's name and then finding like the crying child evidence in there. To, it was like a community effort. It was a big thing people like worked together to figure out. And people spent a lot of time on it. And it did give us the name of Cassidy. But that's about it. So it's like, does that serve the greater story of Five Dead Freddy's? You could argue. Does it tell us a lot about the timeline? Not really. So we don't really get to know what's important until we solve it. So that's I, I want to stress that before I move on to the second half of that question, is that until it's solved, we don't know if it's important. So that's kind of the the gamble of Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, but to your point, does the community tend to over fixate on details that might not be important? Um, yeah, 100%. But that's because it's Five Nights at Freddy's. So, <laughs> I mean, like, you look at the wet floor bots. I think at this point, and I made that whole wet floor bot and Bonnie theory that I do stand by. It's entirely possible, if not probable, that the wet floor bots are way less important than that. The wet floor bots are probably way less important than the emphasis I put on them. But it's a weird detail, and we are obsessed with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, um, I think as a community, yes, we do tend to overfixate on weird specific details. But, I mean, would it be the FNAF community if we didn't? <laughs> um, but I, I, I think, I don't think it's a huge problem. I think that's just kind of what the community does. And I think it's fun that we do that. Um, is it sometimes for not? Of course. But it always will be until we have any definitive answers. Because to your point, can you name any, like many, if any, 100% definitively confirmed answers? Because I don't think there's more than 10. I don't know if there is 10. You know, like, we know definitively that William Afton is Springtrap. You know, like, I'm sure if I sat here, I, I could come up with, like, five to ten things that we definitively know. But so much of this franchise is speculation built off of other speculation, built off of a logical assumption, built off of speculation, built off of, like, one point of evidence. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't, I just, I don't know if it's useful to worry about which mysteries are the most important when so little of them are fully solved. Um, but that's my opinion on that. So thank you for your question, Simon. Uh, moving on to our last question of the day. Totally not Barbadroid. I wonder who that is. I've recognized the email. Who knows? It's totally not the thumbnail artist who everyone loves because uh, they're very talented. Uh, but totally not Barbadroid pronouns any all. Thank you for your question. 
what do you think about Steel Wool's latest social media posts theory? Now, this is going to date how far back I am in my emails. I think this is from like early October, and it's currently November 19th. I'm catching up as fast as I can, y'all. I only do like three to four questions an episode. Um, I, again, I appreciate that. Please keep sending them, because if I run out of these emails, the podcast ends. So please keep sending them. Uh, but I am a little backlogged. Um, what do you think about Steel Wool's latest social media posts theory? In... In Guess the Sketch, there are usually games or game media that refers to 80s, early 90s. There have been some special dates that connect either to Security Breach and especially a circus theme, like Balloon Day with a picture of Balloon World art that kind of connects to Balloon Circus, Elephant Day with the mascot suit of a clown elephant, and so on. It's pretty sus because it began after Ruin and always has FNAF tags. Thank you for your question. I definitely think that they are laying the groundwork for that mysterious project that we accidentally saw in the game files. So for those who don't know, in the Security Beach Ruin game files, there was a lot of unused maps that they just kind of left in there. I don't know if they did that on purpose or they forgot that we are crazy, crazy fans that dig through everything we're given. Um, but one of those map files had a note on it that says, leave in, ask JTOC. I, I, I'm paraphrasing because I do not remember exactly what it says, but I know it at least says, ask JTOP foreshadows something for carnival or something like that so everyone was like okay we're having a fnaf carnival or like a fnaf circus theme i do want to point out that like carnivals and circus not the same thing but you know they're close enough that like carnival could be a code name because a lot of projects before they are announced have code names you know i think security breach security breach had like a code name that was like mall or like party or something like that so like there's a lot of code names for projects before they come out the only one i know by heart is that the gamecube's code name was dolphin and i only know that because the emulator i use for gamecube games is called dolphin it's a great emulator by the way anyway uh, <laughs> um so i definitely think that that plus all these 80s and 90s things they keep showing it's possible that this carnival game takes place way earlier in the timeline than we thought i don't know if it'll be fred bears but i think it could be like a circus or carnival theme sometime during the fnaf 2 time era mainly because right like circus baby circus baby literally circus baby's pizza world we never had anything about circus baby in these games so i don't know if it would be sister location related but i think it would be circus baby and Ballora related so it's either going to be that or I think it's super possible that Help Wanted 2 is going to kind of be carnival themed as well. Because we also know Help Wanted 2 has at least something to do with sister location from that trailer. I don't know. I'm really excited for the future of Five Nights at Freddy's. And I really think that this carnival game, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. And I think it'll be earlier in the timeline than we are suspecting. And mainly because of, like you said, all these guess this. I, I don't think guess the sketch is random. I think guess the sketch is seeding an idea into the fan base. I don't know what it is yet, but I think it's on purpose. Um, and I think that'll be it for today. It might be a little bit shorter. I don't know. Um, I've been recording for 46 minutes, but I, ha I usually cut out a couple things. So we'll see. Um, but this has been a super fun episode. Um, once again, if you want your questions or theories talked about on this podcast, you can either go through Spotify, know there's a Q&A, or you can send them to the email, freddyfazbearpizzapodcast at gmail.com, or copy it in the description. Once again, 
This official Rytoast U2's plushie is available for five more days. Friday, this Friday, I think the 24th at 3 p.m., it is gone forever. So if you want him, you have five days. The link is also in the description. Again, audio listeners, imagine the best plushie you've ever seen. It's better than that. Um, but without further ado, thank you again for watching the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast, where the pizza abilities are endless. I hope to enjoy your future patronage. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>